Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Well, interesting market today. I thought the corn was going to be able to pull themselves up into the positive territory as we got ready to wrap up. That didn't happen. But I do understand that we saw some uh, maybe near $4 corn if we look out a good year plus down the road on the futures. Looking at that, we've got that going on. We've got the beans that continue to be higher as China continues to buy more U.S. beans. We've got a WASI report out on Friday. Wet weather that's moving through the Midwest and typhoons that have hit China. What does this all mean as we wrap this up in a pretty bow today as Arlen Suderman joins us with Stonex and I did want to ask you about that uh, $4 corn out on the long ways on the futures, but still some maybe positive optimism for this corn market? Yeah, and I think one of the things that's interesting to note is kind of the difference between corn and soybeans. It tells a story. If you look at December corn um, for this year versus December corn a year out, actually 14, 15 months out, next year's December corn, or we call it the red December corn contract, it's trading at a 25-cent premium to this year's December corn contract. Um, When you look at, and basically when you have carry in the contracts or the future contracts that are a higher price, that suggests that the market is trying to reward you with storing uh, a commodity, and when it's a new crop contract like that, that might also say some about expectations of declining acres going back for the next year. When you look at soybeans, the November soybean contract for this year is trading at a premium to next year, opposite of corn, about a 25 cent premium. So, with with corn, we're seeing 25 cent premium to next year's contract with soybeans we're seeing a 25 cent premium to this year's contract saying that the demand is up front and maybe expectations of increased production in the next growing season so it says a little bit something how the market perceives this year's stocks and this year's demand corn seems amply supplied but the fundamentals are improving. Soybeans are amply supplied, but there's greater confidence that those stocks could dwindle. Um, dwindle maybe even to the point of needing rationing demand. It's got a ways to get there, but there's, the funds are willing to put more of a bet on that. So as we look at this, you, you do need to look at the premiums and the deferred contracts because sometimes they can give you some good pricing opportunities for the coming year at, at levels that can help you build equity in your farm um, and start maybe doing some pricing when that happens. Um, but you're right. You point out that uh, premium for next year does exist. Can we keep up with the demand that's going on with China with beans and continue to keep our prices rallying? Yeah, and, and of course, the buying, China's been on quite a buying spree the last two months. Uh, soybeans, uh, we have been largely betting that they are filling the gap ahead of the Brazilian harvest and they're simply front loading their purchases. If you look at the correlation between Chinese buying amount of soybeans on the books when the marketing year starts on September 1 and final soybean shipments during that following 12 months, the correlation is very poor. You have years when they start buying very robust like they did this year and then shipments disappoint and, and we don't really do that any any more than what we might have expected in a typical year. You have years when it starts slow and then it builds up. 
so you really can't draw any conclusions from that. I do think that there are some emotions in this year's um, buying by China, that they are worried about coronavirus possibly shutting down our ports and Brazilian ports at some point in the months ahead as we get into the winter flu season due to coronavirus. I do think that uh, China has some panic about shortages. They're looking at the development in La Nina. Their demand is growing, so they do want to get some booked. Um, but if Brazil has a normal crop, because of currency exchange values, we can be assured that the supplies will be adequate out of Brazil and be cheaper than U.S. soybeans come February, and that uh, China will be favoring Brazilian soybeans at that point. What about corn? China doesn't buy corn from Brazil. Um, phytosanitary reasons. I've been expecting them to, quote-unquote, correct that and accept the GMO hybrids that uh, Brazil plants and open the door to Brazilian corn. I've been expecting that for some time. They still do not do that. Prior to their buying spree from the United States, they bought mostly from the Black Sea from Ukraine. Uh, at this point, they're in a little bit of a, a tight situation because they know they have tight corn supplies and they need to increase supplies. But they've been telling their people, using a lot of capital to tell their people, they want to be self-sufficient and that they have adequate supplies or close to it. Their normal TRQ quota is about 7.2 million metric tons for import each year. They're going to have to probably raise that in the coming year. Uh, but if they raise it too much, then they discredit what they've been telling the people, and they could create panic among consumers they're trying to avoid. So we've been looking for a, a TRQ quota to increase to about 10 to 12 million metric tons. We should find out here over the next couple of weeks. It's a time when they normally announce those for the coming year. But what if they go to 20 million metric tons or 25 million metric tons? We don't expect that they will, but after the storms of the past two weeks, they may not have a choice. I want to talk a little bit more about that as we, as we get ready to go, but just three typhoons, correct, that have hit China in the past couple of weeks? Three typhoons, uh, and the second one was probably the most damaging, happened late last week. Well, stick around, folks. We're going to talk more about that and what is coming out in the and the pictures that Arlen has seen. We'll also take a look at what's been happening on the livestock side of the trade action. And, of course, we do have a WASDI report that is coming out at 11 o'clock on Friday. Stick around. More is coming up on this Wednesday. It is the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We continue our conversation with Arlen Suderman of Stonex and Three typhoons hitting China the past two weeks, and as you mentioned, going into the break, the worst of the damage, um, in some ways kind of mimics what we saw in photos coming out of Iowa. It really does, and uh, as I was saying before, uh, the second typhoon probably did the greatest amount of damage. It's really difficult, even with our boots on the ground, to get into those areas to get a real good sense of the scope of the damage. What we do know from uh, social media in China is that there are a lot of pictures of flat cornfields that are still green, similar to what we saw in Iowa last month. So we know there's some damage. We just don't know the scope of it. One official source in China said that Jilin province, uh, which I think produces about 12 or 13 per- 
percent of China's corn overall had anywhere from 30 to 70 percent of its corn flattened. Um, so not a major producer, but one of the larger producers. It probably uh, like talking about Indiana or maybe Ohio or something like that. Um, a significant amount of flattened corn, and it was one of two per- provinces that were hit by uh, that second typhoon with those high winds. What we also know is that supplies are already tight, so it tightened an already tight corn balance sheet. We just don't know to what extent, and it happens right ahead of when China is expected to announce its uh, TRQs, or import quota limits, for 2021. And uh, so we're going to be watching that number closely, assuming that the Chinese government is out checking those fields. Now, we need to also say that when we talk about what happened with the derecho in Iowa, we talk about the harvest problems. Even the corn that still has an ear on it and can be made, the difficulty in harvesting that corn, getting the machines through it. In China, where we're talking about small farms and millions of them, a lot of it can be hand-harvested. They have the people, um, and the farms are small enough they can do that. There's still the question of lost yield, where it's not mature, and the lost quality, that is still an issue. Um, But they do reduce the harvest problems with uh, the human factor. Looking at the... uh WASDE report real quick before we jump to livestock. Do you see any any surprises or any preparation we can do ahead of those numbers on, on Friday? Well, if there are surprises, I wish I could see them. I could make a lot of money if I could. <laughs> um, but that's still a good question, what we need to be watching for. <clears throat> and it really comes down to how much does USDA lower the yield in this estimate <clears throat> for corn and soybeans? Because the more they reduce at this time, the more will be expected in the October report. This is the first report where they're actually walking the fields this year for their yield estimates. And so that's why it becomes key. The other thing is the acreage survey they did in Iowa to allow farmers to reduce harvested acreage. That will tell us a lot about the derecho damage. So those are two things that I'm really looking for. On to the livestock side, the cattle market saw a reversal in the trade today. Is that going to set the trend, Arlen, for the rest of this week? Yeah, as we look at the cattle market, we had a strong day up yesterday, um, and then we're down much of the day today and pulled back into positive territory late again. I think a lot of the weakness was a disappointment that yesterday's gains came on declining open interest, Um, but we did find support come back in again because we had strong um, demand for beef over the Labor Day holiday weekend, retailers emptied their shelves. So they're restocking now. That's providing some of our near-term support. We still do have those supplies, those increased supplies, and what's expected to be soft demand now through the fall months that we need to worry about. But for today, it provides some support. And, of course, we did see the Lean Hog Index above $60 for the first time. You said since May 28th. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a positive sign. Again, that demand for product has been really solid. Of course, exports have been really good. 
our food service and restaurants are still down. We did get uh, word today that New York's going to start allowing restaurants to have 25% capacity in in dining room. Um, so that will help. California still has a lot of restrictions on its restaurants. If we can get these restaurants and food services back, that will be a big step forward. We did see coronavirus numbers for Monday. Granted, it's a holiday at basically 11-week lows, so that's another positive that maybe we can move forward and start getting that restaurant and food service business back. All right, Arlen, sounds great. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Over at stonex.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-E-N. F is in Frank, F is in Frank, 101. And that is the Fontenelle Final Bell. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss and are not suitable for all investors. The Fontenelle Final Bell brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers. Check it out as a podcast at ruralradio.com, wherever you subscribe and on Spotify as well. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.